We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Laker Film Room Podcast is brought to you by Pure on WGN America. It's the story of Noah Funk and his battle against one of the unlikeliest drug cartels in the world, the Mennonite Mob. The Mennonites are a Protestant denomination, similar to the Amish or Quakers. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people, but there's one group that smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Catch it on Wednesdays starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Since the last time we recorded, Lonzo Ball went down with an injury, playing some of, if not the best basketball of his career. And we both thought it was significant enough, both in terms of how he played and then how much the Lakers are going to miss him with him being out, to want to open the show with that. So... The timeline right now for the grade three sprained ankle that he had is four to six weeks. Uh, I believe that that's on a very optimistic side of things, um, but we shall see. But Lonzo's going to be out for a little while. Before we get into the implications of what that means, we wanted to discuss how he was playing before that. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Darius. Man, he was he was balling. What did you see during that time? Playing the best ball of his career, that is dead on. I guess the easiest way to put it is that, from my eyes at least, Lonzo looked like he was becoming a player who could be a focal point offensive player. Sort of a centerpiece of an offense that could run efficiently. That doesn't mean that he's going to be a Chris Paul or James Harden type or someone who's going to be this dominant scorer. He was just 
doing a little bit of everything and controlling the flow and the action in in a way that sort of plays into this idea of a floor general, which was, I don't know if that's ever something or a term that we've ever really used to describe Lonzo in that specific yeah. way. I actually wanted to ask you, we've seen him play really well before. He had stretches last year where he was playing really well. Uh, but this was different, and I agree that it was different. But in your eyes, how was it different than other hot stretches that he's had in his career? I just thought that he was controlling the tempo and flow of the game and offering a command. We've always talked about Lonzo within this context as this culture setter. Right. And one of the key ideas behind that is, is sort of this this inspiration of playing fast and ball movement and sort of putting his stamp on the game through this idea that he can sort of create and then thrive in chaos. It's something that we talked about a lot last year, and it was something I think that we talked about some this year within the context that it was a little bit more absent than we would have liked. What I saw from Lonzo in this most recent stretch, and I think in what was epitomized by the win in Oklahoma City, was just down the stretch of the game, he was just controlling possessions in a way that, to me, screamed lead guard. Yes. He was dictating the flow of critical offensive possessions by directing traffic. He was running screen and rolls in a way where he was sort of manipulating and playing chess more with the defense. There was that great possession with Zubots, right? So I think it was either an ATO or there had been a break in the action. And so Luke had called a play off of the sideline. And I believe it was their double high screen set action or it was a screen set that looked like it was out of a four wide but he ran this screen with Zubots he put his defender in jail after the pick he then calmly sort of navigated the paint area he drew the second defender and then he threw that little lob to Zubots so all of that was just the culmination of him sort of making this determination within this single possession that I'm gonna make this play and I know how to get to a spot on the floor and manipulate the defense in a way where I'm going to create this. And I think that he played it out in his mind beforehand. He did exactly what he wanted to do and he got his team a key basket. During this stretch where he was sort of playing well, it wasn't just that the jumper was falling and it was. It wasn't just that he was taking more possessions away from like Brandon Ingram or Lance Stevenson, or whoever he happened to be sharing the floor with, and sort of upping his usage. It was what he was doing with that usage that I thought was sort of showing signs of him starting to get it. I always felt like, and you said, said this too, that it was more instincts for him, but if he can combine the instincts and the reads, that's where the special player comes out. And I thought we were seeing more sustained glimpses of that. I want to talk more about the idea of being in command because that's something that I noticed too. You referenced that play. That was a double drag screen that the Lakers ran. And actually that play and then one a couple of possessions later in the OKC game were plays that Lonzo like directed the traffic on. So he set it up for it to work that way and then, you know, set it up and knocked it down exactly as he saw it to be. I've often said what you just said, right, about how 
he plays more off of feel and something like that. Like, no, we're going to get into this set and it's going to work because Steven Adams is hedging really high. And so they're vulnerable in the middle of the paint. Let's run this double drag. It's worked a couple of times and we're going to get zoo a shot right at the rim. So it's not just like, I feel like this is going to happen. It's, I know this is going to happen because X, Y, and Z that's part of command. It's also like little things to me where he started like demanding the ball in the backcourt, like somebody would get a defensive rebound and rather than just fill his lane, he'd be over there clap, like <laughs> clapping, right? Like, Hey, and yelling, give me the ball. Those are things that I hadn't seen him do much before that goes into the criticism of him being passive, right? And being too willing to let other guys run the show. He's the best guy of the young guys at running the show. That's his job, right? He's, he's not a conventional point guard, but he is a guy that makes everything better. And we talked about him being a culture setter. That's not just like locker room. You know, he's not much of a leader vocally, but guys really like to play with him. But it's a it's being in command of the style of play that your team is playing. We started seeing glimpses of that really since he got called out by Luke. Him and Brandon got called out after the Minnesota game where they were both very disengaged, Lonzo especially. And he's been really good since then. And then in the last few he started looking special, right? Like he was dominating that Houston Rockets game before he got injured. And he's going to be out now for at least four to six weeks. That is a very optimistic timeline again. But what does that mean for the team, Darius? Look, the Lakers are going to get Rondo back. I think that that's going to give them a boost and some stability. Obviously, when LeBron gets back, that's the big piece. But missing this version of Lonzo, the Lakers need to figure out a way to get a couple of wins, you know, in this stretch. I'm not necessarily concerned about them missing the playoffs, per se, but this idea that they could be in short-term trouble and dig themselves a hole that they can get out of, but are going to have to work especially hard to get out of, is a real concern. The Lakers have a tough schedule over the course of this next month. Um, they've got two winnable games. Uh, when you guys will be hearing this, it'll be the day of the Minnesota Timberwolves game at home. That's the type of game they need to win. And then they got Phoenix on the road after that. They got to win that as well. But I feel a little more confident just because they haven't really lost attachment with the playoff picture. The, they're, as we record this, a game back of the eighth seed. And... LeBron is coming back relatively soon. Like you said, Rondo is coming back probably against Minnesota, but we'll see. And they've lost LeBron for basically a month, and they haven't lost attachment with the playoff picture. They're not technically in it right now, but I feel pretty confident that you give LeBron, what, another 34 games or so, or let's say he's back in 30 games, say he misses four more games. You give LeBron 30 games to make up, say, a two or three game deficit to get into the playoffs, they're going to be fine in that respect. Now, the upper echelon of the West of having like, you know, home court in the first round, I think that's a very tall order, but I actually feel pretty confident that the Lakers will be able to get there. Do you, do you think that it'll be too taxing? Is that something that's going to be, that's going to show up in the playoffs or how does that worry of yours kind of manifest itself? Yeah. I think that is the case, and I think the seeding is going to be especially important, if not necessarily see, well, seeding than matchups. Golden State is clearly starting to make their push now. They look like they will be the one seed. That was somewhat in question a month ago, right? Even with 
that was when it was like team turmoil and you know cousins is coming back but when and who can fix what and now suddenly they're the warriors again and so i think staying out of the eight seed is probably really really important right now there are three teams with 22 losses the lakers have 23 losses and so that's how i always like to look at the standings houston and portland have 20 losses each so the lakers are technically only three games back in the loss column from the fourth seed so they're still in contention i suppose to climb back up where they are maybe in that six through four seed conversation it's just that if LeBron does miss four more games and Lonzo's six-week timeline actually ends up being closer to eight to ten weeks, which is totally right. reasonable based right. off of the severity of this ankle sprain. And look, Rondo's played 14 games, I think. It's crazy, man. It's you, crazy. you know, the Lakers have played 48 games and Rondo's played in only 14. Now, you know, he missed time with suspension as well, but he's broken his hand twice you have to wonder is he going to be healthy the rest of the time the trade deadline is coming up are the lakers going to shake up their roster at all in order yeah, to we'll, we'll talk about that next week on the pod yeah a like and we'll get into more ideas about that i i bring that up now within the context of is there then continuity stuff to work through, right? So there are a lot of different variables that come with a home stretch. And when injury issues are lingering and have been lingering throughout the season, then there's a lot to put together in the season's last third, well, 30 games. And if you end up needing playoff LeBron for the last 30 games of the season, then when usually playoff LeBron is 20 games with no games or with never playing a back-to-back right during the playoffs then you have to wonder like is he gonna have it in him a I think we can be optimistic about that he is LeBron James but b does that throw things off or does he have to do so much that when it comes to the playoffs that even if the Lakers do get to six or five, that they're maybe not as strong as they need to be. There's just a lot of stuff in there that sort of concerns me. And that's all fair. I feel like the Lakers just need to play somewhere around what they were already playing like before he went down, and and they'll be fine. They'll eat, eat up ground to get closer to that. that. And that's assuming that LeBron comes back in the next... I don't know, you know, week or so, but I, I could see there being implications in terms of having enough in the tank. My concerns are more like most of the important players on this team are kids and how will they react in a playoff setting. But all told, like the only team I'd worry about in a first round matchup is Golden State. Like, I mean, I'd, I'd respect any other team and they could beat the Lakers, but I like our chances against anybody except Golden State in a seven-game series. So if they end up as the sixth seed or the seventh seed, that's totally fine with me. Can I ask you a totally tangential question that has nothing to do with this part of the conversation right now? Uh, (laughs) Please do. Are you worried at all about the center rotation? Worried isn't the word that I'd use, probably. 
I don't know what's going on with JaVale. I'm worried about JaVale in that he hasn't played these type of minutes or anywhere close to it for a very long time. And he was great to start the season. He's been pretty bad since coming back from pneumonia. If Zoo had not stepped up the way that he has, I would be a lot more worried. But I feel like I'd feel totally comfortable if Zoo's getting 25, 30 minutes per night, which is crazy. I didn't think I'd be saying that at this point of the season, but he's really looked good. And Chandler provides just enough. He's he's kind of become that like start the game and then start the third quarter and then don't really play much the rest of the, the game type of guy. And that's totally fine for a role for him. But I feel pretty good about it. But based on the fact that you asked me that question, I'm guessing maybe you feel a little different. No, not necessarily. Chandler looks a little bit bulky to me. I know that you had mentioned and it's been reported that back stiffness and, you know, he's been in the league a really long time. And so I don't expect him to be springy, per se. JaVale's decline in play. So the reason why I thought about this was because you had mentioned that all the Lakers really need to do is look like the team they looked like before LeBron got hurt. And there were a bunch of crazy stats about how well the Lakers played basically in that stretch of time between after they acquired Tyson Chandler and then basically until LeBron got hurt. Chandler's Chandler was playing or anchoring the team in a way that was super important, but that was on the back of what JaVale was already providing them as sort of, sort of being this really high-functioning high level player on like a minimum contract, right? I think at one point during this season, you had said that JaVel may be providing like the best bang for the buck as a player mm-hmm. across the entire league, right? Yeah. Because yeah. on a minimum contract, look at what he was doing. But when you look at them now, I think both Chandler and McGee, their level has dipped from where they were during that part of the season where they were playing their best. I think JaVale's level has dipped more than Chandler's, but Chandler's has dipped too, which has opened up this avenue for Zubats to play more. And I think Zubat should play more. What I wonder, I, I guess the reason why I asked that question is we've discussed this a lot before within the context of just this team in general and this idea of, how do you manage the locker room and veteran players who are maybe had bigger roles to start the season, but then maybe do their roles get diminished as the season progresses, as younger players take their time? I think we had the same conversation when we had discussed sort of Will Spee ever come on. And if he does, the minutes that he's likely going to take are, are someone like Lance Stevenson's. And how does that play in the locker room? And how do you keep everyone on the same page when that happens? And I guess I'm looking at the center rotation from two different perspectives. And both of them have potential negatives with that. A, either you continue to play your veterans who have been key guys throughout the first half of the season but their play is starting to decline and do they regain form? And if they don't, then are you still playing them maybe to the detriment of your team 
Or do you maybe play the younger guy who's showing that he deserves more minutes, but do so at the expense of veterans who have sort of built-in expectations to what their roles are going to be based off of what they played like earlier during the season? I worry about that more with JaVale than I do with Tyson. Tyson is, you know, he was bought out, He and he's very much like accepting of his role. I've seen some comments from JaVale and body language that is that can be a little bit concerning. I do worry about what you're talking about there with him, but I think Tyson could use the rest, and I think that it can come at the expense of him both for basketball reasons and, I don't want to say for political reasons, you wouldn't make that decision because JaVale's going to get mad and Tyson won't, right? But I, I think that there's a way to avoid that sort of conflict. Okay. It's just something I had on my mind. You know, like, I'm accepting of that just from the idea of that's totally reasonable to me. Yeah. It's, it's just something that I've been thinking about a little bit. Because Zubats has played well enough to say he should be a rotation player and not a spot rotation player. He should be playing anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes a night. Especially with Rondo coming back. There's a pick and roll combination there that's really sweet. Zoo's got, he's shown a reemergence of those great hands that he showed as a rookie but did not show last year. And uh, that touch around the basket, that feel for where the passing window is, him and Rondo together are a really great pick-and-roll combination that I'd love to see. Now, Rondo and JaVale and Rondo and Tyson, that has value too, especially above the rim. But Zoo has touch around the hoop that neither of those guys have that I think is really great fit next to Rondo. Yeah, like, I mean, the way that I would say it is that as offensive finishers, JaVale and Chandler are like four feet and in players, three feet and in, yeah. right? JaVale yeah. can go from four or five feet to right at the basket for a dunk fairly easily. Zubots can be a short role player, not necessarily on the pass because he's still sort of unsure about the read. I think he makes up his mind early a little bit too much. Zubots can be a 12 foot and in player. Mm -hmm. right yeah. off of the pick and roll, which is super valuable to be able to play in that no man's land space, in that floater range space. That's what's open. Like defenses are designed to give you that and let you take it. So if you're, if you're fantastic at that, like you're going to have that all day or defenses are going to have to do something they're not familiar with doing. Yeah. And he just has a variety. He just has more in his toolkit, man, in terms of yeah. like his, like his finishing package is just more expansive. So for a team that has struggled on offense all season, the more multidimensional players that you could put on the floor, I think that matters. And he's not a great defender, but even last year when he struggled, he's good at those drop coverages at protecting the rim. Like what you would expect a big kind of lumbering guy to be good at, he's good at. He's not going to defend on the perimeter, and I don't think anyone has the expectation of. But if, if a guy can put the ball in the basket on one end as a five and then protect the rim the way that he can on the other end, like that's a pretty good player. He's the Lakers' best center right now. Yeah, he can be like Nurkic light. And, and Nurkic is like a super important player to Portland. Right. And he, and I would argue that Zoo's a better defender than Nurkic is. So, yeah, no, it's been really a pleasant surprise to see him emerge. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Lakers do with him this offseason. He's a restricted free agent, but a uh, nice problem to have for sure. Before we continue, wanted to give a shout out to MyPillow. You probably made a New Year's resolution. And if you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder or whatever, it all starts with a good night's rest. 
Go to MyPillow.com and click on the four-pack special and enter the promo code COZY. You'll get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. And if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. I had a great night's sleep last night. If you go to MyPillow.com, Click on the four-pack special and use the my code COZY to get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com or call 800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code COZY. And while we're here, you've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news, but the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They're the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people, but there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, WGN America presents the new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who's determined to rid his community of the drug cartel. But he finds himself way in over his head, and the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure, Wednesdays starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV, channel 307, DISH, channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. All right, my man, so the, the time is now for the Lakers. They are dealing with these injuries that we don't want them to be facing. They have to win some games, and we're very close to the every game matters point of the season, especially where they are in relations to the standings. What do they have to do with without LeBron for now, and then once LeBron comes back to actually put some Ws on the board and get into the playoffs? A player that I think we all need to focus and key in on now is Brandon Ingram. You, you know, I I think everyone has talked about Rondo coming back, and we mentioned him earlier, and I do think that he's going to help and offer some stability. The fact is, though, is that the Lakers have two point guards on their roster, and one of them is always hurt this season, right? So Lonzo was playing well, but Rondo was out. Now Rondo is about to be back, but Lonzo's out. That puts a greater emphasis on Brandon Ingram, and... I'm as big a believer in Ingram as anyone else, or probably more than anyone else at this stage. And I think that he's shown flashes of being a little bit under control. He's had some high assist games. He's had some games where he hasn't forced the action as much. He's he's shown an ability to hit some difficult shots in late game situations. Um, that Houston game comes comes to mind. He needs to put it together a little bit more and have a little bit more of those sort of like, oh, here's Brandon Ingram with 18 points and seven rebounds and eight assists. He needs a few games like that and string them together in in a way where he can sort of be leaned on to produce that all-around game that's going to help elevate the team. Do you think he has that in him? I am... You could just say Uh... (laughs) (laughs) You're skeptical? I am... Let me me avoid your question for a moment. I am super curious to see him before LeBron gets back. So I would argue that this is the first time in his career that... He will be alongside a 
true point guard, quote unquote, right? Even with all that we said about Lonzo having command in recent games and all that, it was very different playing alongside rookie Lonzo. And Brandon had a lot of on-ball responsibilities. With LeBron out of the lineup, but Rondo in the lineup, that gives Brandon an opportunity to be a wing and not have to be the point guard, at least when Rondo's on the court, right? He'll have ball handling responsibilities. He'll probably still be the backup point guard, and maybe Luke will stagger them the way that he staggered Brandon and, and Lonzo. But this gives Brandon an opportunity to operate as a wing next to a point guard for maybe the first time in his career. So it's not a matter of being skeptical of whether or not he can do it, although I am. And I would say the same thing about Kuzma or any of the other young guys to step up to be the, like, you're going to help us win games right now. And, and and a big reason for that is because I don't know if I've seen the version of Brandon that we're about to see. I'm really excited to see it because it's more aligned with how I think he should be used, or at least in theory, that's how it is in my mind, than he's ever been used before. So yes, I do have skepticism. I don't think that he's going to be... I don't think that he's been bad in these in the role that he's been in over these last few weeks, and especially with Lonzo going out afterward. I've always argued this is a miscast role for him, and I'm excited to see him doing what he's supposed to be doing. Well, what about you? I mean, like you said, you're a big believer. You've got uh, you expect him or need him to step up. If he doesn't, is that like is he the linchpin between the Lakers winning games or not? So. Before I answer your question, I'm going to give you a couple of stats. All right. So, Lakers stats, while Ingram and Rondo share the court, and then this is with LeBron sort of being the linchpin. So, when Ingram and Rondo are on the court together, and LeBron is on the court with them, they've played 104 minutes together. Offensive rating of 107.9, defensive rating of 110. So negative net rating of 2.1. When Ingram and Rondo are on the court, but LeBron is off, smaller sample, about half that size, 51 minutes together. Offensive rating, 127.5. Wow. Defensive rating, 95.8. Wow. So net rating of 31.7. That's courtesy of uh, NBA.com stats. So I think those numbers offer some optimism. They do. I mean, 51 isn't isn't a ton, but it's not nothing, right? And, and probably a lot of that was against bench units. But especially that offensive rating, man, that's, that's really up there. And the defensive rating is great too, but like it, it seems, at least theoretically, to be more aligned with what Brandon does well. Yes. And so I had mentioned this in one of our pods, you know, way, way back this season, but that Rondo does a pretty good job of sorting out when to take the lead when playing next to Brandon and when to defer. And so Rondo's always thinking like a point guard, even when he's playing next to another point guard. Yes. And I didn't watch enough. New Orleans basketball last season to be able to tell you what Rondo's partnership with Drew Holiday looked like. But Holiday was a player who had basically played point guard his entire NBA career. 
you know he had the size to play shoe shooting guard, and I know that he did in certain lineup com combinations, but Holiday had mostly been a point guard. And Rondo played next to him pretty successfully last season, especially during the second half of the season after DeMarcus Cousins went out with, with his Achilles in wool, wool injury. And so I'm wondering if Rondo sort of learned or takes experience from playing with Holiday that he applies to Ingram some were like, oh, you know, let me get the young dog a few possessions here or there to set things up and run something for himself or, or be a little bit more involved because that's what it looks like to me, at least. Just like you, I'm very curious to see how Ingram adapts to play next to Rondo for extended stretches and I'm also very interested to see how he does when Rondo is off the court and he gets sort of more of that lead guard role like all to himself. I have a question for you. One of your complaints that I share of Rondo and some of the games that he's played has been that he kind of slows things down too much and there's no real pace to the Lakers offense. He's very much directing the traffic out there. Do you see that as being a potential issue with this group? And do you think they need to play fast relative to the group that we've seen throughout the year? Or can they survive a more plotting type of pace with Rondo setting up the pieces? No, I think they need to play fast. Yeah, I do too. And this is where I think actually the Rondo and Ingram pairing can work well in that Rondo likes to hang back for the ball and Ingram can get up the floor. And so what I hope to see is Rondo throwing ahead. I think lineups with Rondo, Hart, Ingram, Kuzma, and whatever center is out there, those can be dangerous lineups in in transition. I think if you swap like even KCP for Hart or for Kuzma, that could be the same sort of idea. I think Rondo needs to get back to some of what he was doing in New Orleans, which is just basically push and run. Um, yeah. I think that he'll find a good running partner in a big man with JaVale. I also think that Zubats runs the floor f- well for a player his size. Or I, at least I should say for a player with legs the size of, you know, giant oak trees. <laughs> so he can change ends and he can rim run some. But yeah, I think they need to play fast. I do think... Rondo can give them more structure in in the half court. I think that he creates viable pick and rolls a little bit more often and can move the chess pieces around a little bit. I'd like to see him and the players around him like Hart and Kuzma use their cutting ability a little bit more especially in pick and roll actions where these guys sort of like sneak in from the backside or even make that strong side ball cut when a guy is in strong side corner and Rondo likes to string out his dribble to his right hand. And so when Zubat sort of rolls into that short roll area, that strong side backdoor cut from the guy that's in the corner can be an open pass a lot of times. So I think that more strategic cutting should be a point of emphasis during this period. So I think Rondo can help in half-court actions in in that way, but the Lakers' bread and butter is still going to be get, getting out in transition. This 
makes me think of a second point and something we did not touch on when we discussed Lonzo's injury. Do you think they're going to get the stops to play this way? Uh, I was going to bring this up. I mean, they probably lost their best defender, right? And that's that's going to hurt. Rondo just isn't big enough, and he's not engaged enough. He's not quick enough to make as, as much of an impact on that, and especially at this point in his career. Yeah, I have concerns about that. I, I would also say that as as fantastic as Alonzo has been on defense, at least for large stretches of the season, that the number of possessions that a really good defensive guard impacts, it's not the same as like, you know, losing Rudy Gobert for Utah or something like that, right? And not saying that Lonzo's that caliber defender, but he's he's really good. And I don't think that it'll be as problematic as, you know, losing a five. But yeah, I've got concerns, man. How about you? Yeah, I do have concerns. Lonzo's not your typical, like, perimeter defender within the context of, like, point guard defender. He obviously does, does that a lot, and he impacts the game there. But the Lakers can switch wing to wing a lot. And that matters when your point guard is six foot six versus when he's like six foot one or six foot two. Yeah, the the Lakers like to switch one through four, even with the increase in drop coverages and things like that. They've got different rules for the five, especially this year without Randall. But yeah, there's a lot of plays where Lonzo's on a three or on a four and it's it's a different ball game when that's Rondo instead. Yeah, and so I think they're gonna have to stay home a little bit more with that. They're gonna have to fight through screens. Rondo's not the best when it comes to that. Like, I'm just playing this out in my head a little bit and thinking about it in real time because it was honestly something that I hadn't really given much thought to within the context of missing Lonzo because a lot of the stuff that we talked about earlier and the stuff that has stood out is sort of this progression that we've seen offensively. But we tend to forget that the place where he's been steadiest over his first season and a half as a pro has been on the defensive end. And... To lose that and then insert a player whose best defensive days are well behind him, even if he still carries, by the casual fan, like a defensive reputation, he's just not that same same guy. And especially if he's going to have to play extended minutes, I feel like he's going to pick and choose his defensive spots even more than what he has already. And it's just an area to watch to me. I just would not be surprised if it went poorly. Yeah, I mean, to me, there's not a ton of intrigue. It's it's going to happen. They're not going to be quite as good on the defensive end. I'm super curious when LeBron comes back, what Rondo's role is. I would argue that I would rather have Josh Hart in the starting lineup and have Brandon and LeBron as the two main, main ball handlers and just have guys who can spot up, or even KCP, yes. right? Before Lonzo went down... You know, they had that lineup of, and, you know, before LeBron went down as well, Lonzo, Brandon, Kuzma, uh, JaVale, and LeBron. To me, you can't just insert, insert Rondo into that. You've got even less shooting in a lineup that didn't have a ton of shooting in the first place. And so for me, I'd rather do that lineup that they had where, you know, they had Josh Hart start alongside Ingram with LeBron, Kuz, and then your five. So you've got a little bit more spot-up shooting, or if it's KCP instead, that's totally fine. But I don't think that you can 
I, I'm curious. I'm curious to see if Rondo starts when LeBron comes back. I would guess that he does, but I think that Hart or KCP is a better option. Yeah, I would actually probably start KCP because he's the more... Hart is the more versatile defender going up a position, and KCP is the more versatile defender going down. Perfectly said. Perfect. And you can run him off of screens more. You can get a little more, I think, out of LeBron, who's so great at hitting shooters on the seams or off the seams, which is how a guy likes to catch the basketball right on time in his shot pocket. You know, we saw that for years with Korver and with all the shooters that he's had. Having a guy like KCP, I think both of them would thrive next to each other rather than Rondo. But it'd be curious to see if Rondo, you know, would go back to the bench at that point. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but if Lonzo's out as long as you and I both think he can be out, these are questions that are going to need to be answered because it could easily be two months. It just could be. It could be, you know, the end of March. That's what I'm expecting. I'm hoping that Lonzo gets like two weeks to get, you know, a little bit of his momentum back, get his conditioning back, and then it's playoff time. Uh, I, if Lonzo comes back in that four to six week time frame, I will be ecstatic, but I just don't have the expectation for that. Yeah, it's just such a serious injury. Such a bummer, man. Such a bummer. Like, he was, he was playing so well, and it was like flashes of that, like, this is what I mean. Uh, Laker fans are, are lamenting like D'Angelo Russell is killing it in Brooklyn right now, right? Like, this is why we've said for years, like, be patient with these guys. Just as Russell was always going to develop into a really good player, the same is true with Lonzo. They're, they go about it in totally different ways, but he was starting to show flashes of like, oh, this isn't just like a guy that's going to be good. He's going to be special. And it was just so heartbreaking to see him go down when he did, right when he started to seem to be figuring that out. Yeah, I just can't say it, say it enough, man. That like the point that you made about Russell is a good one, and it's one of the reasons why I continue to talk about Ingram the way that that I do. It's one of the reasons why I was like I continue to be bullish on Julius Randle, and in getting back to Lonzo, it's it's one of the reasons why. I'm going to continue to back him. Just this idea that Lonzo especially, he not only has a baseline of talent, he has that intrinsic feel for the game that just cannot be be taught. So to see all the facets of his game start to come together and then that grow his confidence, which then only inspired him more, to sort of test the limits of of his game and take even more control and and command of not only his individual play but but how that then impacts the team's play was just a real sight to see like I see it right and it wasn't like oh this is summer league and like, wow, look at what, what he's doing. This is like, okay, this is a year two point guard and he's starting to give you the sense that he understands how to move the pieces around the board. And I was just excited to see it happen. The injury really does come at the worst time for him. It, I it, think. it does. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think the Lakers will be able to persist. To me, Lonzo is the extra gear that this team could have in that with 
LeBron, I, I keep saying this, LeBron and a good defense is going to get you far. To me, Lonzo represents, and, and this is true of Brandon to an extent as well, but that absolute ceiling of what this team could be if everything clicks in time. He's going to have to hit the ground running, Lonzo that is, when he comes back from injury in order for that to be realized. And this this season is becoming a little bit bittersweet in that I don't feel like we've really seen the team yet. And I was very fascinated to see what they'd be before the season. And we got a little bit of a taste, but not enough to really know at this point. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. And Lonzo will really have to hit the ground running in order to maximize what this team could be. But uh, I'm, I'm excited about the, the possibilities even so. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. And we'll catch you next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Vladi. Nice rebound to Vladi. Oh, magic ahead. Go to face. Goes under and scores. We have the ovation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? <laughs>